All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow Triple Seven Radio, episode 133. Jason Lingren's with me. We're going to go big into what has become of medicine and healthcare in this country. Basically, everything has become, for the most part, allopathic medicine. And we'll show how that happened and how the robber barons and monopolies and filthy rich that were in power basically took it over. We'll show how that happened. We'll show the dividing line between medicine in this country that was not for profit up until the early 70s, at which point we all began to hear words like HMO and slowly everything became for profit but as I do so often I try to boil things down to a common sense way to think about them if you simply say does everyone deserve health care it quickly becomes a political argument so I boil it down below the possibility of that argument and I say it like this if you're in the desert and you find a human being who's dying of thirst and needs water and you have water should that human being get water and that is in fact the same argument that we're going to cover through all of this boiled down more simply to get beyond the political football and programming nonsense that's been attached to it all anyhow let's jump in with jason lingren for episode 133 and talk about allopathic medicine and how mercury has been misused to symbolize medicine and how it should have been asclepius the whole time there it is man cheers all right man welcome to crow triple seven radio this is episode 133 jason lingren is with me again and we will be covering the kind of greek romany gaudy idea as it reflects against modern medicine in the corporate age welcome jason good morning crow Okay, I have a couple things that I'll just add quickly into the intro here. A few people have emailed me complaining about the audio quality on my side of things. Uh, we're working on that. We're aware of it. Just so you know, Jason's working with probably the best equipment you could have. He's almost in a studio-like environment, and we're networking me down to him for that recording. We're aware of it. We're on top of it. Hopefully, we can fix it uh, in the near future. Also, uh, last couple of weeks, my website, Crow 777 Radio, the server was crashing. We also have fixed that issue. I guess I won't talk about why it was happening, but suffice it to say that if you ever try to log in, you get a 500 error, just clear your cache, close your browser, come back in. That should no longer be an issue. Server crashing due to volume of traffic. Anyhow, Jason, anything for the intro? I think we're good to get into this. All right, we got a lot to get through, so let's just jump over the fence and do this thing. All right, so as we've been talking about the past few weeks, Hermes, Mercury, Mercurius. The patron god of financial gain, commerce, eloquence, and thus poetry, messages, communication, including divination, travelers, boundaries, luck, trickery, and thieves. He is also the guide of souls to the underworld. It is on the commerce part that we are going to focus our concern in relation to modern medicinal practices. Yeah, it's a bit ironic when you go to look at what it means to have a thing named after a thing. And in this case, we're alluding to the caduceus, which is possessed by mercury, uh, that has everything to do with current medical age, doesn't it? Everywhere you go, nearly, uh, you see the caduceus associated with doctors or hospitals or this kind of thing. And when you break it down, it doesn't have a damn thing to do with medicine. As a matter of fact, part of it is about thievery, part of it is about commerce, and then there's guiding souls to the underworld. Uh, I'm here to tell you that if I go in for <laughs> medical help, I probably don't want to be looking at the symbol of someone who's going to guide me to the underworld, but there's all that. Next, let's talk about Asclepius a hero and god of medicine in ancient Greek religion and mythology. Asclepius represents the healing aspect of the medical arts. His daughters are Hygieia, which is where hygiene, the goddess personification of health, cleanliness, and sanitation comes from, Lasso, the goddess of recuperation from illness, Akiso, the goddess of the healing process, Algea or Egel, the goddess of the glow of good health, and Panacea, the goddess of universal remedy. He was associated with the Roman Etruscan god Vediovis and the Egyptian Imhotep. He was one of Apollo's sons, sharing with Apollo the epithet Paean, the healer. The rod of Asclepius, a snake-entwined staff, remains a symbol of medicine today. Those physicians and attendants who served this god were known as the Therapeutae of Asclepius. 
clearly uh, lending itself to the idea of therapeutic there. Um, but I don't know what you found in the research, Jason. I found an interesting thing, and we're clearly, you know, pointing out for the final time here the difference between the staff of Asclepius, which truly has to do with medicinal arts and healing, and then the staff that Mercury holds called the Caduceus, which has nothing to do with anything you could associate with health, which is where most modern corporate medicine has landed on using that emblem. But for the caduceus, I found references where those are poisonous snakes in the staff, and I didn't find that anywhere when I looked at the Asclepian staff uh, with the single serpent. Did you find anywhere that the Asclepian staff had a poisonous snake, Jason? No, not at all. So the idea here is that there's snakes on both of these staves. One of the staves, the Asclepian, is truly about medicine and healing people. The other one is something else altogether. And by the way, it has two snakes forming the double 88, and those snakes are said to be venomous. So there's all that. Right. Let's be very clear about something here before we go any further in this episode. The caduceus is a symbol for commerce. The rod of Asclepius is a symbol for medicine. The caduceus is also a symbol for hermeticism, which reasons should be obvious by now. Right. So as we get in, we'll show you what has happened to modern medicine, which in my view is rarely truly medicine in the form of healing these days. It's mostly about profit and the pushing of drugs. And many of those drugs don't even really within their accepted scope seek to cure anything. It's mostly about symptoms for the most part, but in the second hour, we're going to get into what those drugs are made out of, and that's a bit eye-opening. A survey that is frequently cited from a few years back states that 62% of professional healthcare associations used the rod of Asclepius as their symbol. The same survey found that 76% of commercial healthcare organizations used the caduceus symbol. The author of the study suggests the difference exists because professional associations are more likely to have a real understanding of the two symbols, whereas commercial organizations are more likely to be concerned with the visual impact a symbol will have in selling their products. These numbers no doubt fluctuate, but I'm sure the point is still quite clear. We are going to explain to you as best as we can why certain organizations might make the choices that they do in regard to which symbol they are using to represent themselves. Symbols have meaning. They can speak many words to those who know how to read them. All right, I'm just going to call poppycock here. The idea that some major health organization isn't going to understand what their symbol means, I'm not accepting it. Um, there was a time in my career back when I webmastered and did other things where I actually created logos for companies, and they're well, a very, very much aware of what's going into their logos. And the idea here is that somehow the big for-profit places just didn't quite understand what the caduceus stood for. And if that was true, we can logically work out then why why didn't they just keep the Asclepian staff that had been in use? I'll put that out there, man. From the early 16th century onward, the rod of Asclepius and the caduceus of Hermes were both widely used as printer's marks in general publishing, especially as frontispieces to pharmacopias in the 17th and 18th centuries. Over time, the rod of Asclepius became an independent symbol of medicine. And for good reason. Anyone can look up the idea of Asclepius. By the way, that is an A, not an E in the beginning of the name Asclepius. And you can look up what he's all about or what's attributed to him and what his symbol, the Asclepian staff, is attributed. And by the same right, you can do the same thing with Caduceus and Mercury. So go ahead, Jason. Let's get some important definitions out of the way. They're going to be very intertwined with all of the things dealing with this subject matter. A pharmacy a place where prescription drugs are dispensed, a dispensary. From Middle English pharmacy, borrowed from Middle French pharmacia, and from Ancient Greek pharmakia, the use of drugs. It's uncertain but likely pre-Greek origin. Okay, so basically whenever you go to a pharmacy or a place that's going to dispense drugs to you in the modern kind of corporate for-profit age, uh, almost everything you bump into in that pharmacy is going to have the RX symbol on it. Um, I did a lot of research on this, and people were arguing both ways. This is what I found. The RX symbol was originally used in, astro in astronomy, and it, it meant retrograde. For anyone who doesn't understand what that means and the kind of NASA model, everything's spinning in the world, uh, it 
from time to time it will appear when a planet is moving backwards. So retrograde has come to represent that idea of something moving backwards, though in most models what you're looking at is not actually moving backwards. It's a visual illusion, and that's if you accept the everything spins model, which I don't. Nonetheless, this RX symbol preceded pharmacy and now has been co-opted by pharmacy and for my money kept its original meaning, which is retrograde or to go backwards. To me, this is all by design. I can't possibly understand how these symbols came to be used uh, independent of their original meanings. Now, there's one more term that is etymologically tied in with pharmacy from ancient Greek, and that is pharmakos. And in ancient Greek religion, this was the ritualistic sacrifice or exile of a human scapegoat or victim. That's a heck of a thing, and I would invite everyone out there, go ahead, look up the etymology of the word pharmacy and the, the words derived from it. Um, it's always a good thing to understand words. Most of us just use words all day long and have no idea where they came from or what their intended meaning is. Pharmacy is a good one to put under the microscope. All right, allopathic medicine, relating to or being a system of medicine that aims to combat disease by using remedies, such as drugs or surgery, which produce effects that are different from or incompatible with those of the disease being treated. This is what modern Western medicine is. Although there are some rare exceptions, almost no insurance you would normally be subscribed to will let you get any other form of health care. In other words, there's an iron grasp on the medical system, the way it's designed, how it's set up, what will be paid for, what will not be paid for. What we're pointing out here is allopathic medicine is the approved Western corporate for-profit method that almost all of us are going to be subject to, although I will state there are a huge number of people who are intentionally getting away from allopathic medicine, going to more natural means and going to older methods, but we'll leave that for later in the coverage. Homeopathic medicine, a medical system based on the belief that the body can cure itself using small amounts of natural substances such as plants and minerals to stimulate the healing process. This would be the more natural way of approaching the concept of curing diseases. Homeopathic medicine falls under the category of holistic medicine, which would also include naturopathic and traditional Chinese methods. You know, it's an eye-opener to go look at some of the Chinese um, methods used up to this day, although Western medicine, the idea of allopathic medicine, has crept in to ancient Chinese methods. But I will add this. We've done shows that state flat out, plants are the carrier of life essence. This was known from time immemorial, apparently been forgotten in the modern age. There are people like Gerson, Charlotte Gerson out there, who have clinically proven that using the juices of plants and other methods, which would be considered homeopathic, have cured any number of diseases to include some of the most horrendous cancers. And while it's not possible to cure everybody all the time, I have looked at this carefully and I have done this method myself and it is truly amazing um, to put a fine point on what homeopathic medicine is and that it still does exist in the modern era. Petrochemicals, also known as petroleum distillates, are chemical products derived from petroleum. Guess what pretty much all modern drugs are made from in one form or another? Oh, you guessed it. Holy schmoly, Jason, are you telling me that petrochemicals are driving our drugs? Um, there must be some way we could track that back to the people who were doing it, but we'll get to that later. Pharmaceuticals are normally what are considered to be large organic molecules. These will normally be built by starting with smaller organic molecules and building them together in a laboratory to form the desired result. Most of the time, the smaller organic molecules come from refined petroleum. In addition, linking the molecules together is done in a solution of some sort. This is typically done in an organic solvent, such as ethyl acetate, heptane, methanol, or toluene. These are also petroleum-derived. It's hard to imagine, but here it is in black and white. Anyone can go look these things up and find what we're telling you is true. So I would ask, if you go to the doctor, would you be interested in healing yourself in some way so that whatever you're 
disease or problem is is overcome and you walk away healed, or would you rather take some form of pharmaceutical that is derived basically from the oil industry? I, I don't know. Can I get away with saying it that way? <laughs> is that a fair way to say it, Jason? Yes. I just want to make sure. I don't want to overstep too loudly here. So without going through most of what we have been through before, let's just sum up all of the information by saying that by the beginning of the 20th century, John D. Rockefeller controlled about 90% of all of the oil refineries in the United States with his monopoly known as Standard Oil. This was also around the time that the capability to make petrochemical products was discovered. An early example would be the creation of the first synthetic plastic called Bakelite in 1907, but it was also soon figured out that pharmaceutical drugs could also be made from petroleum products. These are kind of timeline-changing events. Uh, there are plenty of old movies in Hollywood when Bakelite is just coming online, and you can think about this product. It's a form of plastic. Think of the old rotary telephones that were black, and that was the hardest damn plastic. That's really what's being referred to here initially, although it became all these other things. Um, and it's it really is kind of a mind-blower to realize that there was this whole oil thing going on. One family controlled about 90% of it, and they started finding all these things they could make with byproducts of petrochemical industry. Now, to further explain, but still to keep it pretty simple, many herbal remedies contain active ingredients called alkaloids. Alkaloids can often be produced synthetically through petrochemical means, and these synthetic reproductions could then be patented and sold for great profit in opposition to its natural counterpart, which likely could be had relatively inexpensively or perhaps even for free. And not only that, they're they're not the same thing. You can you can synthesize the exact in a lab what would look like the same thing, but it's just not. Um, anyone who has looked at the natural sciences or the idea of spagyrics, which is the alchemy of the plant kingdom, will probably, to their mind, have proven what I've said so often. Plants are the carriers of life essence. I don't think I could ever be argued out of that. I've seen way too much that proves it. I've done the Gerson method, and it's amazing when you get back to the basics. But basically what's being said here is they find this thing in nature from a plant that carries life essence, then they figure out a way to synthetically reproduce it. And that synthetic reproduction, for my money, from my point of view, is not the same thing and is not the carrier of life essence. That's where I'm coming from. So like all things we discuss here, this is the synthetic or non-natural way of doing things. And of course, as we find so often, some sort of elitist scumbag is at the heart of it. And in this case, it's the Rockefellers. There's no getting around these things. It seems that there was a particular point in history when whoever could become rich fast enough was going to have an open table to get into nearly everything that mattered, from education to the way we power our vehicles and oil to the medical industry to the money, how money is handled in our world. All these things were going to come under the control of very few people simply because they managed to get filthy, filthy, filthy rich at the right time in the timeline. All right, so now we're going to start breaking down how the Rockefellers got control of the medical system. The Flexner Report, also known as Medical Education in the United States in Canada. It was originally written in 1909, and this was the beginning of how the elitists monetized medicine and how they still rule the Western medicine world with an iron fist till today. So anyone can look these things up. We'll repeat it. It's the Flexner Report. That is spelled F-L-E-X-N-E-R. Flexner Report. Go ahead. Check it out for yourself. Go ahead, Jason. So Abraham Flexner. After founding and directing a college preparatory school in his hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, Flexner published a critical assessment of the state of the American educational system in 1908 titled The American College, A Criticism. This work got the attention of the Carnegie Foundation, and they commissioned an in-depth evaluation into 155 medical schools in the United States and Canada. It was his resultant self-titled Flexner Report, 
published by Carnegie in 1910 that sparked the reform of medical education in the United States and Canada. And by the way, make no mistake that Carnegie and Rockefeller were most assuredly in cahoots. So logically, we can work out how much power we're talking about here. It's 1908, and they get into 155 medical schools in the United States and Canada. And while I can't cite the actual number of the totality of how many medical schools existed in these two countries at the time, I can logically deduce that 155 is the lion's share of them and will almost certainly include the institutions that are most influential. Right here, 1908. There's where the line is being drawn in the sand for medicine to become something other than it had been. To flesh this out more, between 1900 and 1930, the United States of America, as well as Canada, had a significant expansion of research activities in the field of biomedicine. This most notably impacted academic psychiatry, clinical research in internal medicine, and the integration of laboratory-based pathology. These changes pushed a process which transformed the approaches that universities, colleges, and hospitals were assuming. This development was going on when the Flexner Report was published in 1910 by the Carnegie Foundation. In 1886, at the age of 19, Flexner completed a Bachelor of Arts in Classics at John Hopkins University, where he studied for only two years. In 1905, he pursued graduate studies in psychology at Harvard University and at the University of Berlin. The important part here is he did not complete work on an advanced degree at either institution. Makes you wonder what he was about, right? You go to all these places, the average person will be doing that to accomplish something, which means get a degree and then be employed. Almost seems like his path was paved for him. Maybe his bill was paid. Who knows, Jason? It's no doubt that he was on the payroll here somewhere in the system. I was trying to be subtle about it, but I kind of figured it was <laughs> self, yeah, self-evident. But it's a hell of a thing because... We've done shows where I've stated boldly, and I'll stand behind it right now as I did then, that science has no concern for nature. And in some ways, you can't really draw a line in the sand. When did that become a thing? Um, I don't know when it became a thing. But what we see here is the very same idea coming to bear in medicine. Um, this is where medicine is going to vastly depart, headed down the road for, what is it, Jason, something like the early 70s when the first hospitals in our in the United States go from non to profit. I believe it was under Richard Nixon. Yes, it was. Yeah, but I'm jumping the gun a little bit here. Go ahead. John Hopkins University. A little bit about this. Since its inception by founding Dean William Henry Welsh in the year 1884, the medical school had focused on bedside teaching, concise and standardized clinical observations, and the early introduction of laboratory experimentation and research work. This science-based form of academic education had a lasting effect on Abraham Flexner's views about the status of modern medicine, who incessantly promoted this new scientific paradigm of medical education and research. To him, illegitimate, non-scientific approaches in the medical marketplace, such as the offerings of folk psychologists, naturopaths, homeopaths, chiropractors, and osteopaths, were actively competing with the scientific paradigm of research and education that was represented at major American and Canadian universities at the time. How does someone's health, how does competition ever come into it if you're truly concerned with healing someone? And I would point out, here's the line in the sand where science doesn't give a damn about the natural world, about even the human body, because... You can look at things in the modern age like the Gerson method, which are proven to have worked. If you look it up in Wikipedia, they got the cojones to tell you that basically carrot juice and lettuce juice are dangerous. And I'm not even kidding you. This is how far we have come. And yet, nonetheless, there are still established clinics from Gerson that were forced to operate in Tijuana and other places because they outlawed the use of juices to cure cancers in this country about three months after it was known to be a thing. And this is what we're seeing. Science all of a sudden comes in and says, we're the be-all and the end-all. Everyone who doesn't agree with us, get the hell out of the room. And by the way, we don't give a damn about natural anything anymore. If it can't be weighed, measured, turned into an equation, made into a chemical, we're not interested. And here's the dividing line. And I know it seems blunt to speak in this manner, but look where we are now. 
Look where we have come, particularly in places like the United States, where half the people can't even afford medicine uh, because it's not about healing anymore. Next, let's talk about the American Medical Association, or the AMA. It began in 1847, but at first, it was a small and not very powerful organization. Not until John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie took on what they would call a philanthropic mission to help the AMA, which marked the big turning point when all allopathic or Western medicine swooped in and took over from all other forms of medicine. Since there were many types of doctors and healing methods being used at the time, these elitists wanted to eliminate all competitors, as always, and began putting into place methods that would guarantee that drugs would be the main and predominantly only course of treatment. Which self-evidently uh, takes no, takes, doesn't take any view of whether someone's being healed. It changes medicine entirely. And if I'm not mistaken, it was, which Rockefeller was it that made the statement, competition is a sin, Jason? Do you remember? Was it the grandfather or was it David? It was supposed to be John D. John D. So he, he comes out and has the nuggets to say something like Co competition is a sin. What you're looking at here is a takeover, right? Plain and simple. It's a takeover. It's about money and control. And the idea of healing is pushed far away. And the more decades that pass, the further away the idea of healing is pushed. So Rockefeller and Carnegie used Abraham Flexner to write the report that we mentioned, which was published and given to Congress in 1910, that concluded there were too many doctors and medical schools in the United States, most of which were practicing quackery. Flexner's report called for the standardization of all medical education and only allopathic AMA-approved medical institutions would be granted medical school licenses. Congress acted on these conclusions and made them into law. There it is. There's the takeover. Now, now you got to ask permission if you want to heal someone. We need a license. You need our permission. Here it is. That's the t right here in this bullet point in 1910 is lock, stock, and barrel takeover to allopathic medicine, which is what we've lived with ever since. Um, and I could ask anyone listening: Are you are you content? With the way health works in the United States, um, I think it's a far cry from what I would call health care. And I have found in my own personal researches that things like the Gerson method or things that rely heavily on plants and homeopathy, to me, that is real medicine. Now, to be fair, we can say that Western medicine is phenomenal in the event of a traumatic incident, such as like a car accident, limbs getting ripped off, any like horrible thing it's great at patching you back up, but what we're getting at is more of the long-term sicknesses and diseases kind of thing. Allopathic medicine is way more about treating the symptom than curing the disease because if they keep treating the symptom, they've got you as a customer for a very long time and possibly even for life. But I still would want Western medicine if I was in a terrible car accident and got severely banged up. Good, good point, Jason. Uh, Western medicine is probably likely the apex of where surgery has ever gotten to. Some of the things that happen uh, in a surgical setting are just, it's beyond belief in some cases what they can pull off. And even the machines that are invented to be able to look inside the body or the tests that can be done to run to find out what's in blood, these types of things, Western medicine is the be-all and end-all. But as Jason points out on the tail of it, then come the drugs. That's what follows this apex of surgical ability and other things. And I would also point out, um, when I was young, almost everyone I knew had their tonsils removed. Um, is that still a thing, Jason? You have a child. Um, is pulling everyone's tonsils out still going on all the time? It, uh, it's definitely still a common thing. I believe they're a little less into, like, let's rip things out as, as the first measure of uh, defense, but it's still going on. It's definitely still going on. Yeah, that's a whole road anyone could travel. The idea that like pulling tonsils out just because it was like the thing to do at the time or any portion of the body or the idea of the uh, the appendix. No, nobody 
apparently quite knows what it's for, so we just get rid of it. Um, but apparently, uh, things have shifted slightly away from that. But the main point here is, is there probably is no higher apex than Western med- medicine in the surgical environments and in the laboratory things that can break down what's in blood and these types of things. The problem, from my point of view, uh, is right after that, the idea of healing seems to be thrown out the window in favor of drugs. Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about that. The honest truth with Western medicine is that it's a very big double-edged sword like so many things in our modern society. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And, and you know, we're not even really going to get into the side of it that probably matters most here, Jason, is that how in the hell does anyone living in the United States afford a serious surgery? Um, it, it, it could, you know, it could be, it could cost you more than your house is worth to get in to get medical attention. And that in itself is a crime, in my view, for a country to come to a point where medical care is, you can get it if you can afford it. And by the way, you got to have insurance. And by the way, everyone's not insurable and by the way insurance doesn't cut it's this just intricate intricately woven spider's web of common sense thrown out the window yeah i completely agree with that getting back to the ama it's not a governmental organization but it was empowered by the robber barons to promote what they wanted promoted which is of course the use of allopathic medicine only Medical schools that had been offering any courses in natural therapies and homeopathy of any sort were told to either drop these courses from their curriculum or they would lose their medical accreditation. This cut the total number of accredited medical schools in the United States in half between 1910 and 1944. The end result of the Flexner Report and the Robert Barron's scheming was that all accredited medical schools became heavily oriented toward drugs and drug research with little or no thought put to diet or natural suggestions. All of this leads to massive profits for people like the Rockefellers, a situation that is still going on today. So we've said this a number of times. Still to this day, you can go to places in China and there's an old cliche saying there that if you were seen by a doctor and diet was not included in his prescription, then you hadn't seen a doctor at all. You had just wasted your time. Everybody knows in the modern era, you are what you eat. And yet, if we walk into a typical doctor situation in the United States, you might be told, hey, man, you shouldn't eat too much salt because your blood pressure is high. Or you might be told, you know what, you're overweight, don't eat so much fat. But there is zero concern for the idea that a healthy body is derived from the things that we consume. And that sets aside the whole first half of this bullet point. They made an open push to make allopathic medicine the only acceptable way to do anything, even having medical accreditation pulled from places that weren't allopathic. And what the hell is that about? That's about the old saying, whichever Rockefeller it was, that competition is a sin. They didn't want to just employ their money-making scheme. They wanted to eliminate any other possible path to a medical cure than the one they were offering, which ultimately was going to be in petrochemical-based drugs. Getting back to the rod and the staff, the United States Army Medical Corps is said to have adopted the caduceus as their symbol in 1902 at the insistence of a single officer who is thought to have assumed a medical link after seeing it used, as earlier mentioned, as a printer's mark on earlier publishers' works. Yeah, they're growing poppycocks here on this farm again, Jason. I was in the Marine Corps, and one of the things that goes on is they tell you what the Eagle Globe and Anchor represents. They know what is in their logos and symbols. They were designed for a reason. They were put there for a reason. And the idea that one guy implemented this and didn't have a clue to what he was implementing me falls on deaf ears for me, man. This was done intentionally. And our last bullet point should point anyone in that direction. Who the hell comes in and says, you know what, all you people healing, you can't do that anymore. You need to do it with our way. And our way is going to include drugs and byproducts from our oil companies, basically. In 1912, the AMA stopped using the caduceus and took the rod of Asclepius as their main symbol of medicine. The World Health Organization also uses the rod of Asclepius in their flag. So here's the proof in the pudding. Um, Why would these places in 1912 go back to the appropriate symbol for medicine, which is Asclepius's rod? Why did they ditch the caduceus? Well, clearly they understood the difference. Asclepius is about medicine. Mercury is about something else altogether. Now, within the United States Army, the caduceus, as we said, is the symbol used for the Army Medical Corps. 
but the U.S. Army Medical Department uses the rod of Asclepius. So I ask the question: Does Cor C O R P S stand for corporation in some sense? I would have to say probably, but even more so body, right? It's corpse.、Um, on the face of it, it is what it is. But this is an interesting bullet point. So we have the caduceus symbol used in the Army Medical Corps, but the Army Medical Department appropriately uses the correct rod, which is the rod of Asclepius.、Um, I, I don't know. How do you how do you balance this ledger? How how do you how do you have one department do it correctly and then the other department go a totally different direction? I have no idea. It makes no sense, Jason. Well, I think it's、uh, absolutely guaranteed that all things within the military and government in general is extremely compartmentalized. So what one does is not necessarily going to be what the other does. Yeah, but in some sense, that's not really true because my experience in the military was when you're on a base, there's a head guy on that base, and he can snap his fingers at any portion of that base and have it changed immediately. Even if the commanding element of one platoon or or any other piece of the organization makes a decision that doesn't jive with the top guy, the top guy is basically a dictator. When I was stationed in Okinawa, the top guy was a a full bird. Or, yeah, full bird、um, colonel, and he was basically god on that base. The only time he was not god on that base is if a one-star general or better showed up. And so I kind of take issue with that because the way the military actually works is you, wherever you are, there's always a top guy, and that top top guy, for all intents and purposes, can do anything he wants as long as it jives with the people above him. So it's also important to note that. With a bunch of elitist scumbags getting involved with medicine, the early 20th century we see eugenics and the early groundwork for transhumanism being laid down in certain sectors of society. And let's not forget that eugenics was quite embraced for several decades, in fact, as an acceptable part of mainstream science. You know what's interesting about this is if you go back to when eugenics was like being openly touted in one way or another, you can almost look at the Hollywood movies at the same time and see the same kind of racism or elitism going on. In other words, the channels for media totally backing what governments and other places were doing. But I would ask, if you truly have a government that's concerned with governing the people, could something like eugenics ever come to bear? And I would suggest that the answer to that is no, which tells you something about our government. Or so-called government. Now, the Rockefeller money machine had massive control in what was known as the drug trust. This, in conjunction with having direct controlling factors in the Food and Drug Administration, led to the insane, out-of-control pricing of healthcare in the United States as the decades went by. Yeah, I mean this. This is. Come to criminal proportions. I have actually, in my family, seen people that need breathing medicine, where a single inhaler for rescue is over five hundred dollars.、Um, that's criminal, and that's where we've come. And it's gotten so bad that when you walk in, and and you know the person at the pharmacy saying, "Oh my God, this is going to cost you five hundred," you can see all over their faces the shame. Uh, of what's going on here. As a matter of fact, they work、uh, as hard as they can to, tr- tr- you know, apply a coupon or do some other ridiculous thing to get a, a medicine, which is basically the difference between someone breathing and not, to an affordable range. And this is the kind of thing that goes on. Oh, I can tell you more about that little story because I have one of those. The albuterol inhaler, which is the rescue inhaler, as you said. Used to use the old school compression techniques that spray cans would use. That got outlawed, of course. I'm sure everyone's familiar with that, right? Holes in the ozone layer and all that. So the medical and drug industry had to come up with a new delivery system for the albuterol that they claim, of course, took a stupid amount of R&D, which now made these rescue inhalers go from whatever they were, probably in the sub $100 range, to being a new patent. That's in the hundreds of dollars. The one that I got was, in fact, several hundred dollars. I believe it was in the three hundred dollar range. That, thank goodness, with the insurance I have, knocked it down to—I forget—I think it was in the thirty dollar range. But if it hadn't done that, there's no way in heck I'd be able to afford to get these things on a regular basis because I get allergy-induced asthma at times, and that's a very big deal. That they managed to get the same thing. 
virtually, back in the marketplace for an exorbitant amount after the original patent had expired and they weren't making God only knows what percentage off of their product. Now they can do it all over again, and I have no doubt in my mind that they do the same crap over and over and over again, depending upon what the drug is. I don't know what kind of a black soul you have to have in your body to be okay with creating a product that someone's life depends on. In this case, we're talking about someone choking to death in the middle of the night because they can't breathe. In other words, a medication, they don't really, they can't say no in these situations. And what I witnessed, Jason, was I had to get involved with family members because they couldn't afford the price of that. So we got together a few of us to cover the cost, which was initially closer to something like heaven, uh, $700. It went down below $500, but basically, here's the thing. You stated that they went from those old pump ones that had you know, some kind of a compression gas pushing it into you. The one that we ended up buying for our family member was simply a little capsule that became, when you pushed a button, had a hole punched in it, and you basically inhale the very titrated dust out of the capsule. That's what they were charging so much money for. It's beyond the pale um, to, to think that there's probably people in the United States, there's no way in hell they can afford that kind of medicine, and they can't breathe as a result. The claim with all of these things, all medications, is that it's the cost of R&D. That is their excuse every single time for the exorbitant amount because with very few exceptions, all of these medications and delivery devices and all that stuff they don't cost very much. It's all about them recouping the money that they've put into it or said they've put into it because who actually knows what the real truth of it is? Well, I know what the real truth of it is. In 1973, a place called Kaiser Permanente was the first person to take a hospital for profit in the United States of America. Before that point, things were not for profit. Medicine was supposed to be about healing people. At that point forward, more and more places came for profit. In the old system, a thing like an inhaler that cost 500 bucks never could have even been considered for a moment because it was a not-for-profit system. But now, since that big Kaiser Permanente, hint, 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 look up the word Kaiser, see what it means. Everyone knows what Permanente means, means permanent. Ever since that happened, uh, the door's been open for uh, basically profit, and that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about what matters more in a world, the health of an individual or how much money we can squeeze out of an individual. And right now, for my money, it's all about how much money can get squeezed out of an individual. And I will also add, there are endless people I have bumped into that work within pharmacies and other places that are truly ashamed um, at what they have to do within the scope of their job. Now, before I get into this report that has massive amounts of data in it, you and I the other day were looking at an article that had a statement from Ron Paul discussing what he was calling the golden era of healthcare in the early 60s, and I assume before as well. And the article, of course, tore into Ron Paul horribly, saying how trying to make him look like he was full of crap. But what I did find when I tried to backtrack on that is that, of course, medicine back then is not what medicine is now. So a lot of the things that someone could need in a hospital just didn't exist like they do now. This was the, the bottom line excuse that was used for saying how things were different back then, that all these medications and procedures and all that just weren't invented yet. But I also found a lot of things on the differences between insurances and all that, and it, it's very obvious that by the 1960s, this massive money machine monopoly of health insurance and the whole thing as a scam was already being put into place. Right. He played his part brilliantly. He comes in all the time to say things that are very close to common sense just so they can be belittled, ridiculed, and pushed aside. That's part of what's being presented here. They have to show you what they are killing before they kill it, and they use people like Ron Paul to go out and put the old fatted calf up on the altar. So they can, in fact, kill it. But back in the day, and I was alive during back in this day in the 60s, there were still doctors making house calls to people. A doctor could make all these decisions in the course of caring for an individual. Now, when you go to the doctor, it's not that at all. They're worried about getting sued. They have to follow all the rules that all this corporatization and for-profit has brought, and what a doctor is today is wholly a different thing than what a doctor was when you were watching the Brady Bunch back in the 60s, I would point out. Big difference. Absolutely, and this report I'm going to go through here 
is going to show you just how much things have changed. And this is all from an online article that's taking direct numbers from multiple official reports, and it shows just the extent of the damage that the Rockefeller control mechanisms have done to healthcare. Right. And, you know, you could say this of any place that has become a monopoly or controlled by one entity or, you know, our monetary, our fiat currency system is the same thing because a couple rich families control it all. And they're not interested in the well welfare or the well-being of the whole. They're interested in their corporation's bottom line and the control that it can obtain. That's what we're talking about here. Um, so, no matter what anyone thought, the idea that medical care or hospitals in general moved anywhere but backwards since the 60s is sadly mistaken. And we've been in retrograde for a lot longer than that. From the moment we walked away from things like homeopathy and these age-old, true, tried and tested methods, um, that was a, a huge a huge retrograde move. And not that it should all be one thing or the other, but there's no way in hell allopathic medicine should have made all other forms of medicine a sin, particularly since so many of them worked and had worked for centuries. Now, before I get into this, this goes up to the year 2016, so it is fairly current. In 2016, U.S. healthcare costs were $3.3 trillion dollars. That makes healthcare one of the country's largest industries. It equals 17.9% of gross domestic product. In comparison, healthcare cost $27.2 billion in 1960, just 5% of GDP. This translates to an annual healthcare cost of $10,348 per person in 2016 versus just $146 per person in 1960. Healthcare costs have risen faster than the average annual income. Healthcare consumed 4% of income in 1960 compared to 6% in 2013. So there's a design here, isn't it? This is headed for haves and have-nots. There are soon, and there already are, large groups of people who will not be able to have health care on any meaningful level. And if they do have a serious complication, it could put them in the poorhouse. In the last two years, in my immediate family, um, we have had people, as I mentioned earlier, who needed breathing medicine where three family me members had to get together to cover the cost for emergency inhaler. Another family member uh, in, in our immediate family was in their 80s when they were issued a nose spray, a nasal spray from their doctor and told there was nothing to worry about and the use of that nasal spray removed sense of smell and sense of taste permanently from that person. Uh, by the time I'd heard about it and I went to go see if it was labeled on the packaging they were given or in, in anything it said, the only place it mentioned that that was a possible danger was on the package. And I had to use a damn magnifying glass to read it because it was the tiniest print I have ever seen. And so we can see where health is healthcare is going. But Jason, the, the, the last half of this report is going to have to push over into hour two, isn't it? Yes, there's quite a lot to get through here. We do have time to get through one more bullet point, however. Okay, go ahead. Let's stuff it in. There were two causes of this massive increase, government policy and lifestyle changes. First, the United States relies on company-sponsored private health insurance. The government created programs like Medicare and Medicaid to help those without insurance. These programs spurred demand for healthcare services. That gave providers the ability to raise prices. A Princeton University study found that Americans use the same amount of healthcare as residents of other nations. They just pay more, and I would say a lot more, for that healthcare. As an example, U.S. hospital prices are 60% higher than those in Europe. Government efforts to reform health care and cut costs raised them instead. So, I, I mean, this is like the ultimate proof that you're on your own, isn't it? Um, in my view, health care is a human right. If someone needs medical attention, they, they should just simply have access. And in, in some ways, this still goes on in the United States where a person who doesn't have any other means will wander into an emergency room, which further screws up our medical system because the emergency rooms are always just overwhelmed. But listen to this statistic again. In 1960, cost per person was $146. 
in 2013 that had jumped up to 10,348 per person. And this is still going in the same direction. But anyhow, that does bring hour one of episode 133 to a close. There is so much that we're going to cover more openly in hour two because we don't have to fear censorship. And while we're not saying anything that we shouldn't be allowed to say, it seems that topics like this are regularly getting censored because they don't want anyone questioning the status quo. And it comes down to one simple thing in my mind. If a human being needs medical care, then medical care should be available to that human being. And once upon a time in this country, that's how it worked. And sometime in the 70s, it became drastically a dividing line steering us away from what it once had been. Anyhow, that brings hour one of episode 133 to a close. We hope to see you all next week. There it is, man. Cheers.